0: So Jesus, open our eyes and open our hearts to what you mean by that and how we can live out of it in a way that helps us follow you more closely. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Good to have all of you here. Those of you watching on the podcast as well, great to have all of you. Uh, You know, we're we're doing this sermon series this fall on the things that Jesus says that we might want to ignore because they are difficult sayings. And I just want to say as I've gone through these, writing these sermons the last couple weeks, I am probably never going to do a sermon series like this again. Like these are hard sayings. And I mean, today's is a whopper, right? I mean, If anyone does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, they cannot be my disciple. Like, what are we supposed to do with that? I have no idea. Let's stand for the final song. (laughs) But You read that, and on the one hand, you may go, oh, my God, that's terrible. Why would Jesus want me to hate my parents and my siblings? Or on the other hand, you might look at it and go, it's unnecessary. I've already done that. But either way, right, this is a difficult verse. But you know what? This is not about family. What it's actually about is priorities. What has the number one claim on our lives? And it is clearly hyperbole. Jesus doesn't mean for you to go actively be hostile to your family after this service. And that may come as a disappointment to some of you. It's like, darn, I thought I had Jesus' approval. And we know that because elsewhere, Jesus criticizes the religious leaders of his day for using their faith to justify not caring for their families. In addition, the word hate in Jesus' day didn't mean to just actively hate. It also had a comparative connotation, to love something less than another thing. So Jesus is saying in order to live a life that has an eternal quality to it, in order to live that bigger life that he came to give us, Jesus is saying we have to love everything else less than him, even family, which in his day was a big deal because family was just everything. And the reason for that is because if we do not get our priorities in the right order, our lives get out of whack really quickly. There's an old story about a man who went to an NFL playoff game but had really lousy seats way up in the top tier and... Through his binoculars, he saw that there was this one empty seat way down right next to the field. So during the second quarter, he went down to that seat, and there was an older woman sitting next to it. And so this guy said, can I sit here? And she said, yeah. And the guy said, man, these are great seats. And she said, yeah, you know, my husband and I love football. We came every game. We always sat in these seats, just love football. But, you know, he's dead now. And the man said, I'm sorry to hear that, but why didn't you get a relative or a friend to come with you and enjoy the game? She said, you know, I tried, but they're all at the funeral. not the right priorities, right? That is a mythical story, by the way. See, when our priorities get out of whack, all kinds of stuff. some of you are like, "Well, he had the ticket, she had the tickets." I mean, come on. When our priorities get out of whack, all kinds of things get messed up. We get a lot more stress when our priorities are out of whack. A lot more stress. We get broken relationships. We get boredom and routine. So let me talk about what these verses mean and then how they can free us from that stress, how they can give us better relationships, how if we understand what Jesus is about here, it adds meaning and purpose to our lives. And the first thing to notice here is that this is truth in advertising. Jesus wants people to count the cost of following him. And you know what, in our pain-averse culture, it is really easy for we preachers to kind of downplay the costs of following Jesus, but it can make your life harder in many ways to follow Jesus. Now, there are huge rewards, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but this is truth in advertising. There is a cost. Second thing that Jesus is getting at is that we need to follow God's agenda, not ours. And in our individualistic culture, it's easy to kind of misunderstand what these verses are about, but Jesus' culture was all about community and family. And when he says to love him more than father, mother, wife, children, that's basically your whole life plan, isn't it? That was the script, especially back then. And so Jesus is saying, don't come to me with your script and say, Jesus, this is how it's going to be. I'm, you know, father, mother, then marriage, then kids, then this job, and, you know, and get me to try to bless it. Jesus says, come to me just for myself. I will be the most fulfilling thing in your life, but not if you treat me as a vending machine because that's not a relationship. And I will bless you and I will give you joy, but how I do that is going to be unpredictable. And my plan may be different than your plan because some of those things that you think you want actually aren't going to make you happy, and I know that. And that's what he means when he says that we have to hate even our own life. In other words, love our life plan less than Jesus'. And then the third thing that Jesus is getting at here is he is calling us to a greater love that sets us free. A greater love that sets us free. You know, if you look at this list, it covers every kind of love. Erotic love, family love, friendship love. Jesus is saying, I want to give you a love that is bigger, wider, deeper, higher than all of that. It will will outshine everything else in your life. It's like the stars. You can see them, they're they're out all day, you just can't see them because the sun outshines them, except when it's cloudy. That analogy might work better in California. (laughs) Jesus here is saying, I want to give you the love that outshines everything else, and that's going to set you free from your stress and worries, and here's how. Some of you right now have pain in your life because you never felt like you got your parents' approval. Or you're stressed out thinking, if only I could get into this school or get this job or whatever it is. Or maybe it's a relationship that hasn't worked out the way you want. There are two ways to get past that pain. One is to harden your heart and kind of do the sour grapes thing. Well, my parents are idiots anyway, or who wanted that job or whatever. The other way out of that pain is to love Jesus more than those things. So that he eclipses those things. As I've told you before, occasionally I can worry about things that aren't likely to happen, especially at night. For some reason, at night I just kind of go crazy. And I start to imagine all these things things like, you know, I'm going to lose my job and end up living in a trailer in Pasco. And it, it's always Pasco. I don't, you know, probably because I grew up across the river from Pasco and, you know, or Modesto, one of the two. And I'm sure Pasco's a great place for lots of people, just not my cup of tea. Well, a while back I had one of these nights of worry and the next day I mentioned it to a man in his 20s who I mentor and the first thing he said to me was, I don't have time for my mentor to have these kinds of emotional issues. You need to get over it. <laughs> I thought that was sort of fair. But then, you know what he did next? He, he mentored me back, the little turkey, and he used words from my sermons to do that. I hate that. And he said, you know what? Even if that happens, you would still have the Lord and he would give you joy but I'd be in Pasco. (laughs) Not even God can work there. But you know what? He is right. I have had enough experiences of the presence of Jesus to know that he brings joy. And if what I love most is Jesus, I am invincible. Not even Pasco can touch me. I'd be like, yay, I'm in Pasco. God must have a plan. See, if our kids are the center of our world, then we become helicopter parents, overprotect, overschedule, and they resent us. And in our culture, it is so easy to see our kids as just an extension of my life plan. My life plan includes kids, and the kids are going to look this way, and they're going to act this way, and they're going to be these kinds of people, and do these kinds of things, and we're going to have this kind of relationship. That's my life plan. And then we get disappointed if that doesn't happen. And that causes broken relationships with our kids. If career is the center of our life, we'll always be stressed out about who's ahead of us on that ladder. If it's approval, then we become stressed out people pleasers. But if Jesus is our first priority, well, then we can, everything else falls into place. We can love our kids better because we see them as belonging to God, not to us. And our job is to partner with God to help our kids become who he created them to be, not who we think they should be. If Jesus is our top priority, we are free to do our best in our job. And if we rise up the ladder, great. If not, well, then you know what? We can still partner with Jesus there to bring up there down here. And I gave you a great example of that last week when I talked about Linda, the bus driver, who has built a community of blessing on her bus by how she treats the people on her route. When Jesus is our first priority, we aren't afraid, we aren't tied to our parents' approval, always trying to seek it. We know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. That is our identity. And that makes us less less emotionally volatile with our parents, which helps the relationship. It can also help when we have families or friends who are not approving of our faith. And I know for some of you, that's the dynamic in your family. And we we touched on it in last week's verse, that your faith is a source of tension. But when our priorities are right, it frees us to love our families without agenda. And sometimes that brings a lot of healing. Sometimes even family members end up becoming Christians. That's how it was in my family. And sometimes that doesn't happen, you know, or it can take decades to see any kind of change where there's tension around faith in a family. My wife's family, for instance, they are not Christians. And when my wife was in college, her faith was a source of tension, in part because she went to a church that made her family feel really judged. So my wife and I have tried to overcome that by showing them Jesus' love through our actions more than our words. And we try to pray for them, dispel the negative assumptions about Jesus, because that's what evangelism is, changing assumptions. And we try to do all that through actions more than words, which is the best way to do it, and I'd recommend it to you if that's your case. And make sure that your own dysfunctions aren't part of the tension because sometimes we're also part of that problem. And whenever you can accommodate family traditions without compromising your faith, well, then do it. For instance, when our kids were baptized, we invited my in-laws, but they didn't come even though they only lived 25 minutes away. Now, we didn't make a big deal of that. We didn't fuss about it. When Christina's family is here visiting us, we say grace before dinner because that's what we do but when we're at their place we don't and we don't make an issue of it aren't we going to give thanks to the Lord for his bounty you know and then do like a 15-minute grace while everyone just wants to eat right although occasionally my mother-in-law will say you know what we should pray scott so if that's part of the job always on call ready with a prayer have prayer we will travel Now. All of that has not led to a ton of change over the last 19 years. But we just keep trying to live out our priorities in a way that respects them. And you know what? Over the years, they've become a little less hostile to faith, and the relationship has gotten lots better. The point is when we major in the majors of life, the secondary things are not diminished. They're enhanced. It's like buttoning a shirt. You know, if you get that top button wrong, everything else gets all messed up. Ever done that? Right, Everything else gets all messed up. But if you get that top button right, everything else falls into place. When we get our priorities right, it isn't easy, but we get more peace and more joy. So practically speaking, then, how do we do that? How do we get our priorities set correctly? I'm going to give you a few suggestions. Three things. First, do a priorities inventory. Analyze your priorities, and I'm going to break them down for us with some subpoints here. I believe the Bible says that our priorities should be in this order. First is Jesus, and by that I mean spending time with him in prayer, scripture, worship, trying to do what he says to do. Second, relationships. Now, I believe there's a hierarchy there, too, biblically, so I'm going to break that down with a couple of bullet points. So, starting with, if you're married, your marriage is your first priority, Then, if you have kids, your kids are your next priority. Now, in our culture, it's often the reverse. Kids come first. But what your kids need more than the extra tutoring, select soccer, and all of that is a mom and dad who love each other and model real love. That's the grounding they need more than anything else. Kids come second, marriage first. Next is Christian community. A few good friends who really know you and who encourage you to be your best self. And then other other family members, friends, all of that, follow that. Jesus, relationships, and then third, participating in his rescue mission. Helping to bring up there, down here. That might mean volunteering to do some kind of service. Or it may mean doing all the other things on this list in a different way that brings up there, down here. Again, like Linda, the bus driver I told you about last week. As she drives that bus, she brings up there, down here, by how she treats her customers. And then fourth on that priorities list is your job. Now, the fact that it comes in fourth doesn't mean it's not important. Our jobs are very important. Our jobs are sacred to God. It's how we provide for our families. It's the arena God has called us into where we can partner with him to bring up there down here. And the truth is our jobs are gonna take a lot of our time. And there are seasons where the job takes almost everything you got. And all of that is, is fine. But we also need to limit how much we work even if that means we don't rise up the ladder as quickly. Otherwise, our relationships and faith fall apart. So this week, be honest. What are your priorities? And here's how you know what they really are. What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your energy and your worry on? When was the last time you couldn't sleep because you were just so worried that you weren't close enough to Jesus? Ooh, that one's hard. It was hard when I wrote it, so so maybe our first thing is to go you know what Jesus I'm not sure you're always my first priority I'm just being honest that leads to step two then which is to ask Jesus to help you love him more just say just pray Jesus help me love you I can't do this without you help me give me passion for you and then the third step this week make a few decisions that put Jesus first in some key areas of your life put Jesus first this week in some key areas for instance finances maybe by giving some money away to be part of what he's doing in the world, just like God told us to do in the Bible. Or maybe it's decisions. Make a decision in light of Jesus' priorities list. And you know what? Many of you have done this. Some of you have turned down promotions because you knew it would mean too much time away from family and friends and faith. Others of you have done the opposite. You've accepted promotions because you felt like God was really moving in that direction. And there's no formula here. You, you, we have to work that out in prayer and scripture and community. And then finally, make Jesus first in your time. And this is absolutely the hardest one, isn't it? To make Jesus first in our time because we are busy, busy people, lots to do. we got to go to school or we got to go to work. In fact, research shows that outside your genes, the number one determinant of your longevity is how well you like your job. So some of you right now are like, I'm going to die any minute, holy cow. <laughs> Also, we got to take, we got to sleep, we have to take showers, we have to brush our teeth, we have to floss our teeth for at least a week before we go to the dentist so we don't get that lecture, right? (laughs) I know you, right? You got to clean the house, mow the yard, there are social obligations, friends to see if you're single, dates to go on, you got to spend time getting ready for the date. Sometimes it takes more time to get ready for the date than it does to go on the date. Sometimes it's more fun getting ready for the date than it is to go on the date, Right? Kids, activities, all kinds of stuff. So where does Jesus fit in? Where does Jesus go? See, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. You know, it's like that famous verse in the Bible. We all know it, that famous verse that says, Seek first all the things that everybody else seeks after, and then the kingdom will be added unto you. (laughs) Remember that verse? You don't remember that verse, do you? Because it's not in there. That's not what it says. Although that's how we live our lives sometimes, including me. It goes like this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things are going to be added to you. There's an old demonstration, many of you have probably seen it, where you have a jar and some sand, gravel, and big rocks. And if you pour the sand in the jar first, it fills the jar up and and the big rocks won't fit. But if you put the big rocks in first, then the gravel and the sand will fill in the spaces between the the big rocks. In other words, put the big, the important things in your life first, and then everything else will fill in the spaces around it. So I'm going to do a version of that as a way of giving you some homework. This is, I'm going to do a, just a, a spin on that, on, on that analogy. And this is going to be your homework for this week. And, uh, Rich, I'm going to ask you to help me. Rich Leatherberry, everybody, <laughs> a.k.a. Vanna White. <laughs> So this jar represents one day, okay? You're going to get seven of these in the following week, all right? These three tennis balls represent our three top priorities in life. Now, golf balls might have worked better, but golf does not honor God, so we're using tennis balls, (laughs) especially the way I play golf. So the three top priorities are Jesus, relationships, participating with him, and bringing up there, down here. Those are the three things. And, th- and this is an analogy, so don't push it too far, you know, don't try to stretch it, don't get all literal with me, like, great, now I've got to go buy, you know, a jar, right? Now, the jar is a day. Those three things are the three most important things in our life. Your assignment this week, for each of the seven days, the seven jars you're going to get, put those three things in your life first, each of those seven days. Thank you, Rich. Very well done. Give Rich a hand. <laughs> So those, those, those three most important things, every day this week, may, that's time with Jesus, a few minutes to read the Bible and pray and listen for those thoughts that maybe come from God. Then key relationships, find some time with a friend, date night with a spouse, and then ways to partner with Jesus in bringing up there, down here, which may mean volunteering for something or doing your job just differently. Again, like Linda, the bus driver. If you're a teacher this week, how would Jesus be a teacher? If you're a doctor, how would Jesus be a doctor? If you're an airline attendant, how would Jesus be an airline? That's an interesting one to think of, right? Welcome to Virgin Airways. Speaking of virgins, did you know that Jesus was born of a virgin? (laughs) Might work. Prioritize those three things every day this week. And you know what's going to happen if you put those three things in your day first? you're going to find you love Jesus more. Because when we do those things, Jesus becomes more real and our hearts get more connected to him. Now, what we said, we tend to say, well, I'm going to wait till I have more jars, you know, or more room in my jar. Here's the thing. If you live to 70, you will get 25,000, over 25,000 of these things. And what a shame if they were all filled with work and errands and who knows what. The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule. It's to schedule your priorities. Plus, you know what? I've noticed that when I put Jesus first, start my day in prayer and all of that, you know, often that makes me a better person. And because I'm a better person, I tend to get more done. And it's like God just expands the jar. Now that's going to mean some other stuff's not going to happen this week. You know, I don't know what that's... Maybe it's chores. I mean, you know, don't mow the yard. Don't, don't clean the house. Your dirty house can glorify God. That's the best news you're going to hear all week. <laughs> I recently heard about a woman who was a writer and had a PhD, taught literature, loved words... But she got a brain tumor that eventually took away her speech. But at the very end, the only thing she was able to say, the only thing she could say were phrases from the Bible, Bible verses. There's something beautiful about that. When you're coming to the end of your jars, that's what you want them to be filled with, right? The stuff that really matters. I got an email this week from a man in our church. I'll call him Tom. He's going to have surgery on his arm. There's a slight risk of nerve damage, and he's worried about that. Well, Tom met with his doctor this week who's world famous for this surgery. Turned out the doctor also just found out that he has cancer and he has to have his arm operated on, but in his case, there's a high risk of nerve damage and he might lose the ability to use his fingers, which would mean he couldn't be a surgeon anymore. Tom said in spite of that devastating news, this doctor was just laser focused on Tom, answered all of his questions and then when Tom asked the doctor how he felt about his own condition, the doctor said without a hint of, you know, of saying it because it was the right thing to say, the Christian thing to say, said it with absolute conviction. He really meant it. doctor said, you know what? I don't want any other plan than God's. And if his plan is for me not to be a surgeon anymore, then I'm going to trust he has something else for me. And then he said, you know, if I had to choose between having cancer and having the relationship with God that I have now versus not having cancer but not feeling this close to God, I'd choose the cancer. And then he and Tom ended praying for each other. That's a trip to the doctors. Right? Tom said, I've never experienced that with a doctor before, much less with a world-famous one. And Tom ended his email saying, I was amazed by how he had so much joy in his current circumstances rather than afterwards when it all turned out with the Hollywood ending. Now, I think when we face something like that, it is perfectly appropriate to feel fear and to feel grief and at the potential loss. I don't think God calls us to deny those feelings. But what strikes me about this is that doctor, he wasn't just saying the Christian thing. He really felt the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus inside of him, which Tom found very inspiring and it comforted Tom as he faced his own surgery. That doctor had a rightly ordered heart before God. And because of that, he had indestructible joy And not only that, he was able to pass that on to Tom. And the end of the story is, the doctor had surgery on Thursday, and he's fine. He can use his fingers, so he's going to be able to be a surgeon. But he had the joy even before he got the happy ending. So this week, how can you put some of those important things in the seven jars you're going to get this week? And then keep your eyes open for the blessing that God is going to give you, because God wants to bless you. And do you know why God wants to bless you? Because you are his number one priority. You know, this verse about loving Jesus first can sound so hard to our ears. But it's interesting. It comes at the end of chapter 14 in Luke. And the very next verse is chapter 15, where we find the story of the prodigal son. Son who rudely rejects his father, runs away, spends all the money in reckless living, And yet the father still held him in his heart, still looked for him every day. And when the son finally returned, the father ran to him and kissed him and threw him a party. And that is the heart of God. No matter how many times we neglect, ignore, and outright disobey God, his number one priority is still you and it's still me. And in the person of Jesus, he was willing to die rather than lose you. And he says to you and he says to me, for your own sake, so that you can have the joy that I came to give you I need to be everything to you because you are everything to me. And when we put him first, you know what, it's not always easy. But the result is freedom and life and joy. So Jesus, help us to put you first. Do that in a way that honors you. Lord, we cannot do that without you. So fill our hearts with a love for you, with a passion for you. Lord, we need your help. Help us to make you number one. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.